edition. Join our various gaming groups as we play the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons. And maybe just hang out and chat about gaming in general. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Hey guys, Jim here with Creative Land Podcast Network. Joining me today are a couple of my friends who uh, we haven't had on in a while, but we want to get everybody back to the habit of getting together and hanging out and chit-chatting, because damn it, I miss people's. Today's subject we're going to go for, though, something interesting that I can say I have some experience and none at the same time. RPG game development versus novel writing or novelization. So why don't we take a minute for everyone to introduce themselves. Evan, you want to start? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm, my name is Evan. Um, i sort of the resident mad scientist around here. Um, <laughs> I make game accessories. Uh, I make dice, uh, DM screens, pretty much anything that someone might need for... Um, or rather, a custom thing that they might need for any type of game. Um, I've been getting into the prototype game recently, so I uh, can't talk about that too much because of the NDAs. But, um, yeah, things have been really exciting for me, and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing how it's all been for you guys. All right, Deborah, how about you jump on? Okay, thank you. I am Deborah Honig Parizic and the founder of Pardon Us Gaming. We are the purveyors of Everyverse RPG, which was uh, developed, uh, designed uh, by my late husband. And so I'm uh, now publishing it in his honor. I'm Justin Oldham. I'm the, the founder of Shadow Fusion Books, and I am the uh, co-developer of AC After Collapse. If you want to know more about either of these products uh, or, or their lines, uh, you can check us out at acaftercollapse.com while the rest of us are talking during this podcast. Yeah, that's a, that's a good thing to check out. So, guys, uh, RPG development versus writing novels. I mean... Two beautiful mediums. I enjoy both. You know, I, I read, I, I write some small fanfic stuff, but nothing, nothing of substance like you guys. And, uh, RPG development, I kind of write my own adventures, have toyed with game rules. What do you guys say 
helps, hinders, the, what's the differences, the similarities between doing actual writing writing for novelizations or developing RPG writing? Anybody want to jump in there? Oh, I would love to. Go for it. Well, um, so I do a little bit of both. Um, there are many people in this call that have developed their own games and, and you know, stuff like that. My, my angle of attack is to create supplements that sort of interact with my game. Um, and it might be part of my plan to actually sort of release some of these medias to get people understanding what the game is before I release it. Um, I have a very complex game. It's not a simple, you can sit down in a single night and understand all of it if you wanted. You can sit down and play it in a single night, but if you really wanted to dive deep into the lore, you might even need a little bit of background in quantum physics. Um, and so I guess what does that mean when it comes to, to writing narratives? For me, writing a narrative is important, um, and it's very different from writing a module or a game because when you're the writer, you're the, you're the players, the director, you're the script writer, you're everything. When you're a GM, half of that gets put onto the players themselves. It's your kind of job to set the scene and all that other stuff, just like with writing, but players play a very important role uh, in games. And whether you're writing modules for those for that game or for other people to play that you'll never play in, it's a completely different um, method of writing when you have to consider the agency of your players uh, or the players that will be playing that game. Um it's, it's interesting uh, because one of my, what I'm known for as a GM is, you know, using some psychological techniques, biases, priming, things like that to get people to go in a certain direction and make them think it was their idea. Um, and what I would say to any kind of GM who's looking to write modules and stuff, and they're a little bit worried about you know, being too sandboxy um, and not really having a direction for their game. There are only 360 ways to get to New York. <laughs> so that means that basically it may seem like there's an infinite number of ways to get to New York, but there are 360 degrees to get there. And so you have to realize that there are limitations. Those limitations can be big, but you can use them to your advantage when you're writing a uh, a GM, you know, kind of a, a module versus writing a book story that you're in complete control over. But yeah, that's what I gotta say. <laughs> well, okay. Um... As the person who developed a game system, as the person who has written novels and uh, short story collections that take place in my game universe, 
uh, I'll, I'll just uh, go for uh, the 60-second version of what, what Evan just said. When it comes to game development, uh, you have to make uh, two vitally important decisions from the start. Who are you talking to when you write your game materials, and who do you want to actually use those things? Now, in my case, I come from a technical writing background. I am a, uh, I'm a former civil servant. That makes me a reformed bureaucrat. So I know how to say things in far too many words. When it comes to game design, uh, the, the, the goal, the mission should be, no matter what your math is, no matter what your theme is, say it in as few words as possible. Now, having, having said that, having put that out on the board, I will say that there are two inevitable facts of life. No matter how much you love your game system, no matter how long you spent developing it, the gamers are immediately going to mod it, like, like, 10 minutes after they purchase it. I like this. I like that. I don't like that. No, no, we're not doing that. No, 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 no. This chapter, no. Okay, and that's how they're going to function. So rule rule one, before you ever publish, understand that gamers mod. And so keep that keep that in mind with what you do, and that's exactly what I've done. I broke my game system down into the basic no frills and the advanced all kinds of bells and whistles with lots of if-then statements. The second thing that you got to keep in mind is whatever in the world it is you wrote. It doesn't matter if it's if it's fantasy or post-apocalyptic. You have to be able to market it. And when it comes to marketing, you basically have to figure out what you're going to say uh, as briefly as possible, the, the so-called elevator pitch, so that when you're talking to somebody on Skype or in a podcast, you meet somebody in a cab, or in an elevator when you're when you're standing in line at 7-Eleven to use the microwave, you have to be able to say just lickety-split fast what you got. So when I say post-apocalyptic RPG, that 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 is the the quick sell. But uh, people who know what that is don't have to explain anything. They're not even going to ask. But the people who don't know what it is, they're going to say, "Hey, hold on a minute. Let me just let me just heat up my burrito now. Tell me what what in the world are you talking about?" <laughs> okay, so if if they're dumb enough to give you the opening, then you know you you move on for the from from the five second tease to the sixty second sell. And with all with, with all that in mind, moving to the other side of the table, since we're talking about writing novels in the universe that you created. It is a very straightforward thing. First and foremost, tell the story you would most want to read. Don't treat the novel as an introductory primer to your game universe. Do not use the novel as a teaching instrument to indoctrinate people into your game philosophy. No, just tell them a damn story and let them turn the page. That in, that, that in about 60 seconds or less is my whole shtick. That that is yeah. actually amazing advice. It really is. It really, really is. Because <laughs> we've all seen those RPGs out there where they've got the the fiction in the book to tease, and then literally it's uh, this is really just the marketing. It's it's not actually the story. It's the marketing. But that is actually really good advice. Well, when it comes to stuff like that, as a, as a lifelong gamer. I'm sitting here in my office right now. Immediately next to me, I have a file cabinet. And in that file cabinet is nothing more than all of the, uh, all of the role-playing games I have ever collected. The top two drawers are all post-apocalyptic RPGs. And 
the the one sin that I have noted over the last four decades is that if people put fiction in their RPG materials, it's whether it's the basic rules or it's the supplements, half the book is the fiction. And, you know, if you want to turn your audience off fast, then you just you just go ahead and do that because people feel ripped off. If they want the fiction, they're going to buy the novels. If they want the fiction, they'll buy the anthologies when they want the game. That's what they bought the book for. So (laughs) give them the game. Yep, exactly. Nothing's worse than paying, you know, 50, 60 dollars for a book just to find out that, like, more than half of it is. (laughs) is just story fluff. Yeah. Anyway, what about you, Deborah? Well, um, Everyverse RPG was developed because my husband and the designer and the original player, who is now our chief play officer for Pardon Us Gaming, uh, Jim, he, uh, they wanted to play uh, various scenarios uh, most of them from science fiction novels that they had written or read. I'm sorry, duh, <laughs> that they had read, and uh, uh, there were there was no real good set of rules that would allow them to do thusly. So uh, Den put on his mathematical thinking caps and 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 so forth and designed this system. It was born in the uh, uh, Co College uh, in Cedar Rapids Planetarium. And they didn't even have character sheets. They just hung out there in the planetarium and just kind of um, ha- had a sh- had shared experience storytelling, as I understand it. Uh, I um, unfortunately did not join into the gaming for probably another three four years, so I I don't know the entire backstory. But that's where it started because uh, um, they're just. The rules that were out there at the time were just not flexible enough to allow them to play Oh Highlander, for example. Uh, um, when I finally joined in, we had, I don't even know how long the Highlander campaign went, but uh, it was probably easily 80 sessions. And that would be probably at least one a week. And uh, uh, I don't even know what all the books that uh, they, they uh, played um, the pro- the plots they borrowed, as it were, and uh, my husband was also uh, a, uh, a starving uh, fiction writer, and I know he did at least uh, one novel, or at least had one going, that uh, was set on a a world that where these would have uh, have been the rules, as it were. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know where that is at the moment, so I, I can't publish that as well. In fact, I'd probably have to finish it. So uh, um, I, I'm of the, of the uh, uh, I guess, opinion that uh, uh, a generic rules base is really great because that's what ours is. And you can use it to play any kind of uh, situation, scenario that you would like. And that was why it was developed. And the end. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. So for in regards to the the two supporting each other, what does uh, RPG development help 
writing? You know, what 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 skill sets do you learn as as a GM and a RPG developer? What skill sets does that that foster that would help in noveliz novelization? Besides, you know, getting used to having a hundred different opinions in your game tables. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll take I'll take a stab at this. Okay, first and foremost, when you build your game, you are establishing. What, what what is sometimes referred to as a lexicon. Now you you're you're establishing a, a body of words and definitions. Everybody here is familiar enough with Dungeons and Dragons. When we say uh, levels, hit points, when we talk about uh, when when we talk about uh, armor class uh, and, and two hit numbers, those are common terms and definitions mm -hmm. that were established by those early games and everybody and his brother uses some version of that to this day so when you are building your game part of what you are doing is you are establishing a body of terms and definitions and in some cases you may discover that you're making up whole words from scratch and when it comes to Defining your backstory. Uh, you, if you're gonna have a, if you're gonna have a game that has elves and dwarves and taxi drivers in it, then you're, you're defining what those things are. And at some point, you are gonna use words and sentences and phrases that are specific to all of these things, and you're gonna take. All of this language that you have created to define your universe, you're going to scoop it up in a great big, huge, drippy shovel. You're going to go over and you're going to pour it in to your fiction so that if you want to write game lit, you, you, you will simply tell your story and you'll sprinkle your terminology through it. If you want to write RPG lit, okay, fine, you can do that. You can put in your, your, your strength score and your hit points and your armor class and your spell points and your saving throws and the results thereof to, uh, to, to keep the reader going because some readers, they just want, just tell me the story, man. What the hell happened to Bilbo? Did he make it or not? Other people will say, well, that, that, that's terribly interesting, but uh, how did Sauron actually pull off that perception roll? I'm thinking there's a lot of mods on that. So you're, you're going you're, you're gonna to have some different audiences there. You just have to decide which one you write for. And once you've pulled this off, your game makes your novels possible. And then after that, we have a completely different discussion about how you actually play the game, how you actually market the game and, and how you avoid getting into fights over, you know, over who's going to pick up the pizza bill. <laughs> so uh, you did touch on something. I was actually hoping somebody would bring up. What is an RPG lit? Okay. RPG literature. <laughs> it is the story which takes place in the imagined universe that you, you yourself have worked so very hard to cultivate. You understand it better than anyone else. You can speak to its nuance. And depending entirely on how you've written your story, you can tell something that's really down and dirty. Or you can be as 
philosophical and universal as you please. So RPG lit is, again, it is fiction that includes game stats. And mm-hmm. anything that anything that players would roll dice for, you will include that in the course of your narration. Game lit is just the story that takes place in the universe. Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of the new stuff that's coming out for RPG Lit with, because it has that total meta gamer feel where your character is actually talking about my character sheet and my stats, and it's it's a fun genre of writing. It really is. Oh, it is, and you can have a very similar experience if you get a group of gamers together. You you uh, you, you know you bring a. You bring a digital voice recorder, three cases of beer, and then just go from there. <laughs> at, at least three cases. You look at it as a starting point, and a- after you get to the end of the three cases, it's like, okay, who's still capable of going to the liquor store for the next? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Okay, then I guess we're done here. We'll see you next week. Everybody take a nap on the couch and then head home. Yes. But that's a very good example. Anybody else? What are your thoughts, Deborah? Well, my thoughts are that uh, what I have seen of what Den left behind, gaming stats will be applied to worlds, which uh, then we would build each one and, and have the adventures on these worlds. And so... I believe that was what he was doing with the the novel that he was writing. And it was going to be, I believe, uh, rather philosophical, actually, with some some kind of religious uh, uh, undertones to it. And this was all based on the rules that set uh, for the characters and for the world. That's about all I can say about it at this point. Uh, Like I said, I don't know where the novel is right now. And uh, unfortunately, it was never finished. So pretty much the novelization would help set the setting for the RPG? Yes, I would say that's a good way to put it. Which that's that's always one that I've been a fan of when you get the the RPGs that have literature. As long as the story is a solid story and not just there to hammer out, you know, specifics, you know. Like, uh, if, if any of you have had a chance to read any of the Palladium Books novels, a lot of them do a good job of touching base on different locations and things, but it's more of a here is the guide to the area than a really good standalone story. Uh, this was definitely going to be a standalone story. Well, you're treading on something that's very important to a lot of gamers. Mm-hmm. who are going to go to their favorite game store tomorrow and stand there and look at the book rack and and make a decision about what they're going to purchase. Because without ever saying it, one of the things that gamers often consider in the back of their mind is uh, if they if they buy a novel based on the game, is this just a story or is this canon? Is this actual history in the universe of the universe by the universe for the universe, or is is it just a story? And uh, I'm not trying to throw rocks at anybody, but uh, you know there have been some game systems that have spun off 
a, a variety of novels that have caused some people to read them and say, eh, "Hold on, hold on, wait, wait, wait a minute. Where, where, where is this? Uh, what, what source book is this in? Hold on, where is that?" <laughs> Kind of reminds me of the Star Wars canon, not oh, canon. I was going to mention it. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Absolutely. Where, where sometimes the writers have their own story that's basically just got the name brand stickered on it and yet has nothing to do with the actual themes and motifs. It's glorified fan fiction. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, while I'm a fan of and have and been a writer of fan fiction, so yay, you know, good on <laughs> these people for getting their their fan fiction published mm-hmm. uh, as part of of the, uh, the 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 Star Wars genre. But I don't like it when it when they put out the last three movies and it totally messes up the book, you know, some of the books that I read, which I much preferred. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like. It's like, yeah, don't tell me, put this out as kind of like canon and then make a movie that has absolutely nothing to do with what just happened in my, in the books that I read. Exactly. How it's, it's, it's complete, you know, it's got that bait and switch feel, you know. Yes. It's the, you just put the logo to sell the book, not it's actually part of the book series. Exactly. I mean, I don't believe that Luke would have run away and hid. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well Ugh. anybody who remembers splinter of the mind's eye put out Ooh. by ray bradbury Which, I, mean, yeah, I read it ages ago I, I i i'm sorry i don't mean to be overly difficult about this but since i wasn't the one who mentioned names uh, i'll just i'll just go ahead i'll just go ahead and pile on here uh, splinter of the mind's eye by ray bradbury is more blatantly incestuous than anything george lucas ever uh, put down in the original novelization and it just goes to show you that again they were just they were writing they were writing the story to to sell books and so all of you aspiring game designers out there please remember when you publish it, you own it. When you trademark it, you have the right to litigate. Anybody who messes with what you built, that's what the judicial system is for. And keep that in mind, because when you go out there and put up the open call, hey, submission call, my publishing company over here, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, somebody talked to me about writing a novel in my universe, you better be prepared to defend your universe, because you're going to get the fanboys and fangirls. Oh, I think think it would be so fantastic if this character and that character hooked up and it's like hold on wait a minute no way they're just no they're, they're on opposite ends of the continent they have no reason to meet that one but i just think it would be so fantastic if they did you have you have to have the guts to say yeah thank you very much uh, we'll uh, we've got your stuff on file we'll get back to you if we decide to go in that direction so be prepared to defend whatever it is you build mm-hmm and, That's uh, important. and and in regards to, to to the novels especially is I've I've listened to a lot of conf- you know conferences with with writers and stuff and the big one is continuity the fact that you have to make sure to keep continuity you know if you oh, say yes. oh go ahead oh no go ahead no no please 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 go ahead that that <laughs> if you you say or do something the character has to be consistent. I mean, granted. Honest, oh, so sorry. <laughs> I just wanted to tack on to what you're saying, but please finish. No, no, go ahead. So, 
honestly, for me, with with role-playing games uh, and writing for role-playing games, what helped me become a writer was finally sitting down and writing my games out. And what that meant was I really had to consider the characters in those games. I had to consider that those the, the, the players were the ones with the agency. I, I touched on this before, but the thing is, is when you're writing, most of the time, most of the time, you're going to be writing about characters. And consistency is important with that. And in order to really, really have consistency, those characters have to be real to you. They have to be a consistent person with histories and motivations. In fact, I would say their motivations are probably the most important part of who they are as people. Quote, unquote, people. Um, and that's where consistency is going to be important. Because if you have a character whose motivation is, well, I don't do that because of X, and then you have them do that because of X, you're just throwing your entire story out the window. Mm-hmm. It's Characters have arcs. They, they need to grow. They need to be who they are and grow into who they need to be. Whether that's the villain, whether that's the hero, whether that's just someone who's forgotten. I think I want to add something here real fast. In, in, in the realm of game design, you have to know why players would want to be in your game universe. And you have to be able to say what that reason is as quickly as possible. If you give yourself one sentence for each hand, then it should not be that hard to describe why do why does anybody want to play in your universe it could be something as simple as you know get rich or die trying it could be that or it could be something like i don't just just to throw out a possibility if you're going to play in a post-apocalyptic world you know are you are, are you going to build something or are you are you going to be a maker or are you going to be a taker what which one is it going to be mm-hmm. and a lot of people when 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 given the straightforward choice yeah, there's some people are going to say, oh, totally love Road Warrior, man. Going to go out there and absolutely be a taker. Going to leave lots of flaming wreckage. In my, oh, right, where, where is this game? I'm going to buy it now. <laughs> you know, some, pe- some people are just, some people are like that. Other people are going to say, hold on, wait a minute. I want to experience this world. I want to know what it's like to contribute something to it. And if, you're, if, if you are prepared with a, a straightforward enough backstory so that either camp can get a hold of your basic rules and run with it, then you're on your way. But just to circle all the way back around to the point, ask yourself this while you're crunching your numbers, when you, whether you're deciding to be, are we crunchy or are we rules light? Why is the player involved in this? Why are they doing this? If you can't answer that question in two sentences or less, you need to go back to the drawing board or quite possibly mm-hmm. go to Costco and get a smaller drawing board. <laughs> but yeah, that that's a good point. Is is whereas you're the writer and you have full control of, you know, you basically have the character's player agency in your pocket. You yes, you have to listen to the character's honest, you know, what would the character honestly do? But with the, the RPG, you have to have it open-ended 
to the extreme to to be able yep. to play both to the the guy who wants to be the you know road rat on his motorcycle stealing from people or the one who wants to build a compound to make basically save humanity and that open endedness that can be hard to do ah uh, it can be but again with your backstory if your backstory is open ended and it's not a closed loop then mm-hmm. you're 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 going to be relatively safe you know if we go all the way back to the very beginning to the late 1970s when uh, when when polyester was common and spandex was still just a dream <laughs> You know, the, the early, early games, first edition Dungeons and Dragons, and my all-time favorite, of course, first edition Gamma World, yes, the backstory was very basic, but it was open-ended, and you could basically play either one of these concepts forever. And mm-hmm. some of the very best legendary games today start off with a relatively straightforward backstory, and then they go from there, and uh, they, they, they bless you with a long succession of source books that give you the opportunity to explore the game universe from many different directions. Yeah, what would happen if vampires had particle guns? What would that really mean? (laughs) Well, keep in mind what I said earlier, that even though it's really open-ended, there's only 360 degrees around that open ending. There's only so many ways you can get there. Remember, there's an infinite number of ways you can't get there. That is very true, and I'll add to that. When it, com- when it comes to the novel building, okay, th- and I have, well, like I'm going to say over the last 15 years, I've probably uh, worked with at least uh, 15 people uh, who have tried to do some version of what I've done. And when they get to the novelization, they half the time – and I don't mean this as a knock on anybody, but when I'm reading those first draft manuscripts, uh, it is either a it, it is either a dull as dirt story because they love the hero or heroine so much and they don't want anything bad to happen to them, or it's a knockoff of something that we've already seen. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen you know, a, a knockoff of Mad Max in novel form. So. Uh, it, it's just, you, you have to you, you keep that in mind. So if you're going to write novels in your game universe, you have to be you, you, you again, go back to you, one issue for each hand. First, write your novel knowing that the majority of readers are going to be gamers. So write your hero, write your heroine, knowing that a gamer is going to read it. The second thing you do is you know, cater to that, that, that desire. Some people want a taste of the game. Somebody found your book in an airport lounge. They've got seven hours to kill before their next flight. Your challenge here, even though you've never met them and you're not going to make a dime off their reading that book, you have to engage them. So actually you know, tell a story that says why that character is there in the same way that you engage the gamer. This is why you're in the, the RPG universe. You engage the reader with your fiction. This is why this character is here. You don't have to like them. You don't have to hate them. It would be nice if you didn't. But you, don't have to, you, you, you don't have to love them. You don't have to hate them. But you do have to understand why they are there. And the number one thing I end up emailing back to people is 
why is this character here? Question mark. Now, you solve that riddle, you prevent any editor from asking you that question, and you are on your way. Pretty much just like a good player character in an RPG. You need to know your motivation, your flaw. You know, what is the one thing that you will screw up the team's plan for if that comes up? You know, because that way it's a well-rounded character. And and just like, you know, a lot of Panzer style writers will say, sometimes you're writing and the character just takes over because that's not what the character would do. Or this is something else the character would do I didn't even think of until the time I was sitting down writing. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to volunteer a, a little nugget from my past here. Okay, many moons ago in a galaxy far away when uh, when AC After Collapse was still just a collection of notes on a dry erase board, uh, several of the people I was working with at the time, uh, they said, you know, I, I, I just I, I just don't get it. I, I understand we, we've got all this stuff on index cards, but... I'm just, I, I'm just, it just doesn't compute. So we took us, we, we took off, we, we stopped game development for a whole summer, and I went and I wrote the book that, that today is, uh, is his Haven's Legacy. And at the end of the summer, when everybody came back with their hangovers and their sunburns, I said, okay, this is, this is the idea. And they uh, they they read the they read the novel and oh yeah okay now now I get it and so then what we ended up doing is going back through and rebuilding all of the game material as it existed at that time to communicate the big open-ended backstory as it was represented in that novel. And I put that novel away. It, it stayed on a floppy disk for uh, for something like 10 years. And for those of you who don't know what a floppy disk is, please <laughs> Google it. Oh, you see it all the time. Come on, you know. It, it's the save button. <laughs> it's, the, it, it, it's the thing I put my beer on to keep it from staining the coffee table. So, yeah. Uh, but But the thing is, is that I saw my vision of the project but I was not fully communicating that vision to other people, so I wrote a proof-of-concept novel, and that turned out to be vitally important uh, to, to, to the overall project. Can I ask you a question? Sure. What, in, in as short of an answer as you can, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, what would you say the themes for your RPG are? What kind of themes do you think your audience is looking for? My audience is looking for a post-apocalyptic game system that they can twist in any direction they want to fit whatever purpose they want. And and the reason I say that is, again, going back to my earlier comment, gamers mod. Okay, uh, uh, first edition Gamma World published in 1979. In 1980, I was hanging out with people who said, nah, don't like that rule. Rewrite this one. Rewrite that one. Let's add this one. And then as time passed through the 1980s and our understanding of computers and artificial intelligence changed, eventually people were walking around with hundreds of loose-leaf notebook pages 
with all the, with all their house rules for how how things change. So, said to myself, okay, someday if I ever do publish a game system, I'm gonna make sure that this thing is thoroughly moddable. And and I'm not knocking anybody, but very few people ever pay attention to this. If you sit down with any edition of Dungeons and Dragons and pull it apart, you'll find that it's very hard to put it back together again. So um, what I did was I said, okay, I'm gonna build. I'm gonna build this product so anybody can tear it apart, and and, and they can put it back together again. And it, you know, however they change the math, whatever backstory they change, that that that's it, it's going to be functional. Now, if I if I if I explain what the backstory is, very simply, it it is this: a collapse of many causes has resulted in the collapse of world civilization. Will you be a maker or a taker in this environment? With a little asterisk on the end that says, GMs, how do you want to present this version of hell? Question mark. <laughs> That's a very important asterisk right there. And that is true, which is exactly why we built the game. And first, the, the first incarnation of this thing was what you would call rules light because everything was just basic rules. But because I was playing, I, 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 was, I was playing and I was working with people who had 20 and 25 years of experience. You know, the, the person who has never played an RPG before is not going to think to ask certain questions. The person who's been doing this for the last 25 years is going to have questions you never even thought of. So when it comes to what you actually put on the page for your published material, there's a limited number of if-then statements that, that, that you can put in for the vast majority of situations. And over and over and over again, for the benefit of game lawyers out there, if you thumb through any of my products, one of the things you are going to see is uh, uh, you're, you're going to see three, three common phrases. At, at the GM's direction, at the referee's preference, or because the GM said so, comma. <laughs> and that's because we've all faced off against game lawyers. They didn't graduate from Harvard. They have a two-year community college degree, and yet they're going. <laughs> and yet they 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 attack you verbally as if they're arguing their case before the United States Supreme Court. And in conclusion. Mr. Chief Justice, the fate of the world hangs on your choice. What shall it be? <laughs> you're you're not wrong. I'm just gonna say you're not wrong. <laughs> I've experienced it myself. <laughs> um, a lot of the themes in in my writing uh, revolve around identity and existentialism, um, and that's why I asked because. My game is more. I'm sure many of you have heard of what GURPS is, right? Generic universal role-playing system. You know. Sounds Steve familiar. Jackson. <laughs> Steve Jackson, for those who don't know. May, may have heard of that once or twice before. He really inspired me to write uh, a game of my own. But the issue that I always had with GURPS was that they. They didn't have too much. They, they wanted it to be really open-ended, so they didn't. They wanted it to be modular. They didn't want it to really have much of a 
any kind of storyline that it was nailed down to. They wanted it to be applied to anything. Um, where with my with my setting, it's a setting of settings. Um, I have two novelizations. One that's very strictly uh, very strictly sci-fi. Um, dealing with the first, you know, conscious androids to ever exist and what that means and how that affected the rest of the, the lore, the narrative. Um, and I also recognize that, you know, as much as I want to dive into the philosophy of all of the, kind of like what you were speaking about before, we can write these things any way we want. Um, I also realized I needed variety. Uh, and to expand on those themes of identity, uh, I had to write, uh, I'm currently writing a book that's a little bit more popcorn, if you know what I mean. You're just going to sit there, you're going to enjoy reading it, because not because it's cerebral, not because it's, um, you know, essentially engaging with, you know, childhood development psychology and things like that. No, it's just fun to read. <laughs> and I'm finding that as I do that, it opens up a little bit more uh, doorways to not just different styles of, of writing and characters for myself, but also for um, sort of, I guess to say, lore dumping. Like, I'm not going to sit there and, and dump every piece of lore that I have into a single novel. This is, first of all, no one wants to read that. So I think I, I think J.R.R. Tolkien did that, and people have had a few criticisms. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to write something that's that hints at a lar much, much, much larger world. And maybe that's probably a good thing. Because once people will get those hints and, well, I want to know more about that. Mm -hmm. And they'll read other things. If they don't and they just like the story, that's also good. Yeah, like it's it's nice when the, the, the novelization hits the big upbeats in the setting. So that way, big things that you know is going to happen, like say your steampunk city has a spire instead of docks where all the airships mm -hmm. go up to this giant spire. And you basically drop the landmark and notice notable NPCs like in you know, like like a lot of the old D and D setting books where it would take literally give you here are like the five big wigs that you will discover in this town whether they're the the rat king or the the commerce guild master and then a cool location as opposed to like harping on one specific thing like this is where mithril comes from this one specific mine the only place where mithril comes from you know. Where you have that organic feel to it. Mm -hmm. I'm all for the construction of dynamic worlds. I uh, believe in that when it comes to being a GM and presenting an ongoing role-playing game. And when it comes to writing novelizations, uh, the, way I would, the, the way I would paraphrase that is, if your characters are constantly in motion, 
they're going from point A to point B to point C, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And every time they are passing through a new location, they can see in here. Every time they spend any amount of time in a location, they see here and do. And all of these things add to the accumulated uh, experience of the realm as well as an accumulation of effects and figures, etc., that will allow all of your, uh, you know, your, your hardcore fans to just geek out. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's a great way of putting it. Exactly. You know, Oh, I'll give you one. I'll give you one more, real quick here. The thing is, when I've developed my game fiction, whether it's the short story anthologies or whether it's the novels, I have actually indexed everything. And I knew before this project ever went to print that eventually I was going to run into game lawyers who were going to want to argue with me, and I was going to run into to serious fans who were going to want to question me about certain aspects of the history of the universe I created. And we've all been to conventions. We've all seen it. You know, every, everybody wants to argue with the game creator. Yeah, but on page 47, you said this, and page page 59, you said that. Which one is it? And so when you actually have indexed your work as a matter of quality control, it gives you an additional layer of continuity because uh, when, when, when your editor or your content manager, whoever, is developing the index for your finished work, they are inevitably going to find inconsistencies that you were blind to, you never even thought of, etc. And all of that pays off when you're out somewhere signing books and somebody says, well, hey, how come you didn't mention such and such? And I said, well, well, I did. Like, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, I didn't. All right. Where's your book? All right. Open your book. Uh, go to the go to go to the index. I didn't even realize that was back there. All right, then you have a nice day. <laughs> And that literally sounds like dealing with a rules lawyer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when I when I built the game system itself, uh, in every single source book, there is a paragraph that says specifically that uh, uh, GMs are strongly recommended to refer to the index in the back of this book. When it comes to defending yourself against a rules lawyer, comma, your best defense is the index in the back of this book, period. Because indexes are beautiful things. Trust me, I appreciate any time a game designer makes sure to have a nice, beefy index, where you <clears throat> actually look up and flip to where I actually need to go. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than when you flip to the back and it's like, here's a two-page index for a 400-page book. And you're like, no, this is not inclusive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Well, especially because you're like, okay, what was that one thing? What was it called? You know, and you're trying to figure it out and the index is no help. You're like, okay, I know it was somewhere between page 50 and page you know, 150. Yep. And and you uh, haven't you haven't gotten the muscle memory down in the book where you can just reach in the book and insta flip to the right page yep. you need. Yep. Yep. Which again goes back to dead tree books are far better than digital. 
However, so now if you with in, a good index, in, in digital with a, digital with a good a good index, yes, and uh, 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 the people who edit my products have literally been driven to drink because <laughs> I wanted I, I wanted them to include a clickable index at the end of the uh, the like no, like. Uh, you don't understand how important this is. I understand how, how important you think it is, but my mental health says no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, but, but today, all of the, all, all those books, all the novels, all the source books, everything, it's all, uh, it, it's all indexed. And, uh, because I prepared years ahead of time to do battle with game lawyers, certain concepts in every single book are cross indexed. Now, for those of you who don't know what that means, later on, after you've had a few drinks, Google it and just <laughs> enjoy. And you'll lose an evening. Yeah. But it is nice when you have that option. It is. It is. So um, as long as we're as as long as we're sharing secrets and and, and considering what really has to be done, uh, here's a question for everybody in general. Because of where we are now in the evolution of this industry, what do you think you're going to have to do different 10 years from now? Ooh, that's a good one. I already know what I'm going to have to do 10 years from now, So, but, but that's under lock and key in the classified development section of the company. I've got a feeling that you mixed media is the new thing. I mean, we, we know so, so many folks still love the dead tree, like, you know, like I mentioned, but uh, a lot of the younger generation of gamers that I'm seeing in things, they, they need more of a mixed media. Like instead of reading the player's guide, YouTube videos are the way to go with them. I mean, so many of my younger players that I played with, I can try to walk them through it, but if I give them a link to a good YouTube video, they totally get the concept right off the bat which is interesting how they're more of a visual media than the old sit down and read it. You know? There are show me's and there are tell me's. Mm -hmm. And then there's the third group, which is my favorite, which is we'll figure it out along the way. Let's just start playing. That's one of my favorite groups because that's how you just, you do it completely wrong and you figure out later on, we did this completely wrong, but that's okay. We had fun. Yes, yes, that is uh, that, 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 that's very true. So now, uh, since we are all uh, we, we are all considered experts here on the subject of game design and novelization, uh, what do you guys think really works out better in terms of a marketing? Ooh. Um, honestly, uh, marketing has really changed over the last couple of years the, not just with COVID but with different like, a different generation of um, of players uh, it, so it really does help to break it down into those different generations even though they're, they're more like guide, guidelines and not you know <laughs> gospel um, Gen Xers Honestly, they don't care. They don't care about certain rules. They're there to have fun. They're there to enjoy enjoy their time. They don't 
have a lot of time, they're busy adults, right? Um, often in higher up positions. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, and that, you know, that's what I find with my dice that I sell, is that for X-Wing, anybody who's under the age of, of 28, 25, typically, well, the rules say that you can't play with these kind of dice, and I'm not going to spend money on that. Um, you know, uh, unless I can use them. Or Gen Xers are like, I, I just play the game, I don't care about the tournaments. Especially if you can get glow-in-the-dark ones. Just saying. <laughs> and so, you know, um, where my generation and Zoomers you know, millennials and Zoomers, they don't want to be sold to. They do not want to be sold to. They don't want someone coming in and being like, hey, everybody, I got this thing you should buy. Um, where previous generations, they'd be like, oh, what do you got? Hey, that's pretty cool. I like that. I'm going to buy it. Where my generation and Zoomers typically feel manipulated. Like, you oh, know, I can, I can back that. I can back that up. Uh, because one of the, the, the funniest things that's happened in, in recent months is like the last, the last 12 months. Okay, now, in order to the, – the way I've learned how to do this, in order to, uh, in order to market to millennials and Gen Z, uh, I, I do push my advertising dollars in the direction of marketing the game. And I'm not kidding at all. About every 10, 12 weeks, somebody sends me an email that says, hey, this game is really cool. Have you ever thought about writing novels in this universe? <laughs> and so I'll just respond with, a, you know, with, with, with a couple of uh, clean Amazon links and you know, just, ju just go from there. Because if you tell them that, oh, by the way, there's novels out there, they're like, yeah, whatever. But if you wait for them to say, you know, this is so fun, there, there should be novels. And then it's like, well, as a matter of fact, it's it, it interesting you should say that because there is. Oh, all right, then I'll buy that. <laughs> that's that's a really good point. I mean, because, you know, back, you know, my gen, Gen X, we don't mind ShamWow guy trying to sell us this cool idea as long as he's willing to hit what the cool cell features are. You know, tell me tell me about this and and, and what's the next good upgrade for this item? You know, what's the next book coming out to to add to the to the, the system? My only criticism is honestly going to be that, uh, uh, especially Gen Z in particular, they don't read. Like, I, I bought the basic rules for your game. This is way, way cool. Have you ever thought about any source books? Well, yes, we've actually considered the idea of it because you, because it's you asking, no, we're not going to do it. No, it's, uh, it's like, yeah, as a matter of fact, we thought about source books. There's like six of them out there now. Oh, really? I hadn't noticed. Oh, no, that's, uh, that's quite all right. That's okay. I mean, it makes me wonder how many times you've been asked, will there be an audiobook? Uh, so far, not yet, but I can honestly tell you that there's a company savings account that's, uh, that's slowly accruing money, and when the magic dollar figure is reached, we are, in fact, going to make our way over to the nice people at ACX, and we're going to start to talk to them about... Uh, about audiobook production, but the thing is, we're not just going to throw one book out there because I'm smart enough to know that if we put one out there, then the emails come in, hey, when's the next one? 
You know, but if we put out two or three, then people will be kept busy enough crunching away on those that we'll actually have enough breathing room to develop number four. See, that's a good way of doing it. Because, you know, once once an audiobook comes out, people get insatiable and they got to get the next one out immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you completely lose the momentum. So, Deborah, how about you? Uh, what I think is I'm going to have to do in the next 10 years. Is that the question? Standing? Uh, yes. Yep. What, what's, what's the next, uh, you know, the future? Um, uh, as I, I mentioned in the previous podcast we did, I want to get the, the uh, third supplement uh, book out. And, uh, I, and I want to start building some adventure modules. Uh, at least one, but uh, um, in the future history supplement, Den left seed ideas for, uh, I think, 19 adventures, something like that. So I'd like to see each of them be uh, built into a, a full module. Uh, these were uh, to illustrate each of the eras that he did. Future history is uh, uh, 10,000 years of uh, human history going from say 2050 on and uh, um, I also talked to someone and I'm not sure exactly since we all had the pandemic and everything uh, uh, see if I could do some uh, cards because there for the longest time card adventures were you know the big thing mm-hmm. and uh, so I've, I've had uh, that thought in the back of my mind Unfortunately, I'm, I'm not, like I said, I'm not sure, so I have to do some research on their popularity as yet. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, if, uh, well, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm probably not up for writing any novelizations, but uh, um, I'd be willing to entertain having people write novels in, in art, um, in um, uh, I guess I don't even know how to say it because we don't we uh, uh, since ours is a generic system we can have any universe uh-huh. really yeah. be so, careful uh, be careful about what you wish for <laughs> yeah exactly so um, I might be willing to entertain some of, of that um, again it's it, it uh, that I think is is down the road a piece. So that's what I, I want to finish off the the, uh, the uh, publishing the books and uh, start adventure modules and uh, they would be also you know print on demand PDFs you know whatever uh, uh, mm-hmm. all the formats and then uh, um, see about the possibility of, of card adventures as well. Does yes. anyone know what this state? Does anyone know what the state of card adventures is since we've had the pandemic and, you know, people weren't gathering for a long time? I do. I do know that, you know, I've got a like the newest one that I picked up was the uh, Magpie Games Zombie World, which basically uses cards to set up the adventure, which is really as a GM. It's a great system because it saves you from doing nights worth of homework. Instead, you can just flip some cards out on the table and there's your adventure. Which is great mm-hmm. storytelling, because lazy storytelling is great storytelling. 
<laughs> and honestly, the more so games you have that you're shooting from the hip, the more fun I've ever had in most most of those styles. Yeah, it's been, it was quite educational to me because I'm I am a fairly novice game master. I mean, I've only been doing it for like the, the last uh, uh well since 2017, I think 2017. It was uh, no, actually, uh, my friend uh, Jim, our chief play uh, officer, and his two sons did the initial uh, game mastering at our first convention, and then I picked up in 2018. And I mean, I was freaking terrified. <laughs> but one of the, the things that really struck me is how I could take the same adventure and have, you know, each time I, we played it, whatever the, the uh, con or the, you know, the, the game shop was, they were all different. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yes, still the same total backstory, same characters, because we had, you know, pre-gen characters that we were just, we were handing out that, so I I would be up for a little lazy game mastering actually. You know, flip out some cards and here we go. Uh, here's a card for you know the, your character stats and and here's a card for the adventure. Let's do it. So Make I, a I note of that, Jim. Fun. I think you've got your topic for another podcast. What uh, l- l- lazy GMing? I think I think that, uh, <laughs> you could probably even do a whole three part series on that. Oh heck yeah, lazy GMing or the GMless game. So that way the G- the GM gets to play, you know, but, but Deborah, you're right. I mean, and, and that's one thing, that's a big discrepancy between game design and novelization. Like you said, same NPCs, same adventure, 12 totally different stories with 12 different groups, as opposed to the novel. You can't, even if you're writing Panzer style, you know where the novel's going to end, you know, you know, the, the, the 90% of what's going forward in the book. Even if your characters kind of take over the back of your head and change the story some, which they totally do. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, you wake up in the sweats at night, and you're like, shit, my main character wouldn't do that. Or shit, Damn my main it. villain wouldn't do that. <laughs> back to yep, the drawing board. Done that. Empty yep. soda bottles all over the floor. <laughs> un- un- unpopped popcorn kernels on the carpet. Cheeto dust all over the keyboard, and you're asking yourself, "What did I do?" <laughs> <laughs> or like R.A. Salvatore used to joke in his books, it's some of the panels he's done. He has post-its, and sometimes you have to take a scene out of a book, but you don't want to lose the post-it, so you put that in the writer's bible to use in the next book, maybe. Because you pick you a go. beautiful scene, and then you realize this scene is has no point. Take it out. Because that has something to do with the editor table, which is something completely different. Ooh, evil editors. <laughs> oh, please don't get me started. Let's just let's just let, yeah, let's, let's, go. let's finish this on a nice positive note, please. <laughs> so uh one quick brief statement from each of you guys is uh, uh in your personal opinion, is game design good for for wanting to write novels and vice versa, you know? Or is this a danger zone and you should just avoid it completely? My opinion is I think they are both mutually supportive of each other. Uh, and, and when it comes to actually publishing the product and marketing, they, uh, they, they do have a very definite symbiosis. If you do not have a background in novel writing, 
develop your game first. Stop, then uh, knock off a handful of short stories that take place in your uh, universe and shred the ones you don't like and never speak of them again. And then, and, and then after that, uh, publish your game, wait for at least two years, and then revisit the topic of novels. And assuming you're still sane, you will know what to do next. Very good advice. <laughs> Big assumption there, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, my not very humble opinion is uh, I, I, um, I would like to sometimes uh, focus on the novel uh, uh, novelizing the adventures that that we play and uh, so like I said you know ten different uh, um, uh, ways that that a scenario went depending on whichever game shop I was at or whatever and any of them that that were really good uh, novelize the, uh, the the that particular adventure. That's definitely good advice. That way, I mean, it's already done for you. Yeah, the, you know, especially if you play multiple groups, you can always pick mm -hmm. and choose the different characters. You know, like sure, yeah. I liked John's rendition of the dwarf as opposed to the other guys. You know, and in uh -huh. your head canon, you can totally pick and choose the optimal group and throw it together for a novel that way. Yeah, that would be very interesting. That way, you, you know, you can kind of extrapolate where the characters would go if uh, um, if these characters. I mean, isn't that kind of like fantasy football or something? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, I, I really I'm sorry. I don't understand the concept of fantasy football. You know, you say this person from that team and this person from this team and that other person here. And how do we decide what they would do? Well, uh, you know, it's kind of all made up, isn't it? I don't know. It's all uh, electronic dice rolling. There you go. See, so uh, um, they're doing it too. <laughs> they're stealing our genre. Uh, but I think that uh, uh, oh, did we lose you? Would you? I think Is, we might have lost uh, you there for a second. Just remember, they who copyright first win. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Five people uh, could have been yeah, part I'm of the story, network issues. but he, he, he or she who gets it edited and copyrighted is the is the originator of the information. Now, here's a completely separate podcasting topic for you. What secrecy measures did you take when you were building your game? Ooh. As we all <laughs> all look at Evan right now, who's being super, super secret. Oh, I, I'll tell you right now, there are just some things I'm not going to say in front of a hot microphone. That's completely understandable. I have to be super chill about it because <clears throat> um, there's a lot of stuff happening in media right now that is very, very similar to uh, what I've written, published, and copyrighted. Uh, four years ago. Um, so I'll say that all of this, you know, the MCU stuff, I already knew where the MCU was going because if anybody's read Marvel or DC comics, you know that they do multiverse kind of things and stuff like that. Uh -huh. um, 
but you know what I can say is is that eventually what I would like to do is is open up um, open up my lore to help explain uh, many of the multiverse stuff that we see now. And that once the zeitgeist sort of gets this whole multiverse thing into their head, it'll be much easier for me to release it. And when someone says, yeah, but what about the copyright? I'll be like, nope. Because that's a concept that's been around forever. Between Uh now and then, you will compartmentalize, you will encrypt, and you will disinform. Yep, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Uh, but once I, once it's released, I, I'm I, when the season is right. There, there's a season for all things. You don't harvest in the winter. And that's a good point. Is you got to make sure to pick your timing right. I mean, it's it's just like when it comes to you know throwing a Kickstarter out there. You don't want to throw your Kickstarter out there when all the other Kickstarters are happening. You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. You you have to do some homework there to make sure that you you're you're not coming out just when something that's similar or you know will be drawing the fan base away happens at the same exact time. I mean, I know one thing. Like with 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 the co- the the podcast, you know, venues is that's a big important thing for podcasts. Is you know, hey, there's not a limited market. There's no reason to be like sniping one each, one each other, bringing each other down. When it comes to marketed items, there is a finite market, mm-hmm. and and you have to make sure that uh, you're not com- you know competing yourself or shooting yourself in the foot, coming out with something exactly the same. Like we all know, if, you know, if you're if you're on Amazon. You see those lists of when something is hot on the market, everybody comes up with a 99 cent Kindle book with it, which is, and half of them, as I've joked with friends, is they pulled up some other story, went control F R and replaced certain words with other words to make it a completely different novel in their regard. I mean, it's it's like I joked about uh, Sci-Fi Network. Many times has made knockoffs of other books by changing certain things like Moby Dick, changing it from a whale to a dragon. And then, you know, they, they literally just took the script of one thing, changed the setting descriptors, and they completely marketed it as an, a brand new thing of its own creation. So... Definitely, you know, pick your market and timing, you know, correctly. Definitely. I think that's definitely something important. I think that's a positive note to end on. Indeed. Indeed. Hi, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely want to... Some of us are on the same vibe. (laughs) Definitely want to thank you guys for coming on the show because it's been too long since we've hung out with each other. And we totally need to get some more of the roundtable discussions going on again because, you know, it's just fun to throw off ideas off of each other. Absolutely. Now, would you... I need uh, this big time. (laughs) Sure. No, I I, I understand. Absolutely. Now, uh, are you looking for more guests? I will definitely not say no to new guests. I mean, you you know me. I like new voices and I like voices that I've heard before. Okay, I would like all of you, um, 
uh, to be aware of somebody I know that I, I've been working with for a while now. Uh, his name is Jacob Wood, and he he runs Accessible Games. And he's a role-playing game designer, but his thing is he is uh, trying to develop role-playing games with backstories uh, that have uh, acceptance of disabilities in mind. So he he's developing his game system uh, that he's just recently um, republished, and, and that's a that that's a you talk about you know failed starts. Okay, you know he had a bad start. He's coming back, but his thing that I haven't seen anybody else do is to focus on a game system that encourages the many, many, many disabled gamers out there to uh, to come and play in that sort of an, an environment that uh, you, know, you know tolerance and mm-hmm. and all all that all that other kind of thing. So. Now I've included disability stuff in the mechanics of my game, uh, but he's much more he he's much more loud and out front about it. That's awesome. I mean, it's it's a hugely important thing. I mean, it hell, is. it's it's taken D and D how long to have a ramp in a dungeon, and so many people lost their mind, which made no sense. You know, in one of the uh, Candlekeep Mysteries books, there's there's a handicap accessible dungeon, and people mm-hmm. lost their minds. And I'm like, what is your problem, people? <laughs> yep, yep. No, I I under I understand. I mean, in in both of the uh, um, in Haven's Legacy and Search for Haven, um, you know, I I my, my hero and my heroine are visually impaired and. Um, yeah, I, I've gotten I've gotten my my fair share of hate mail. Oh, they couldn't do that if they can't see. And it's like, fella, you don't want to get stuck in an elevator with me when I have a pencil. So, um. <laughs> if you're within nice. arm's reach and I can clearly hear you, you're in trouble. <laughs> oh, I'll tell I'll tell you one thing. If if you're if uh, uh, just just a small piece of advice. If you're a blind person and you have had any martial arts training at all, the last thing, the, the stupidest thing anybody ever does is physically touch you. Because as soon as as soon as they make physical contact with you, it completes a circuit in your brain. You can do anything to them that Bruce Lee and his 2020 vision could do. So, you know, just take that for what it is. But, but yeah, absolutely. Let's do this again. And um, Sunday is the best possible day for me. Uh, that's when you can get the most hours out of me. Alrighty. So please just keep that in mind. All right. You got it, guys. All right. Excellent. I'm, I was glad to chat with all of you. Good to talk with you guys again. Hey, Evan, I'm glad to hear that things are going so well. And, Deborah, I'm sure that if you just stick to it, it'll all work out. Oh, thank you very much. I'm certainly going to give it a try. Okay, folks, thank you very much. I've got to go turn my steaks and uh, find the uh, tap for the beer keg. So Enjoy that amazing barbecue you got coming. <laughs> oh, yes. All right, thank All right, you very guys. much. Have a good All night. Right. All right. Good night. Good night. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to D&D Journey of the 5th Edition, a member of the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Please follow us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cppn to never miss a show or stream.
Hello, this is Eric and Wendy Strzok with Stone Valley Hobby and Games. We sell board games, card games, role-playing games, and supplies. We have thousands of Magic the Gathering cards available, carry Kickstarter products, and work with veteran-owned small businesses to bring you our own line of products. We are a small business retailer, but we offer competitive prices, a loyalty system, and free shipping on orders over $100. As a military veteran myself, I'm a strong supporter of our armed forces, their families, and contractors out there doing the hard job. So any order from an AA, AE, or EP address will be shipped absolutely free. Remember, StoneValleyGames.com, where we take your leisure seriously.